0: Hey, folks, it's your pal Josh coming in up top to uh, to do a little housekeeping before we launch into the episode proper. Uh, you will notice um, on your podcast feed that this is not the hotly anticipated hashtag peens on screens episode. Uh, it's something a little different I threw together for, uh, for your New Year's Eve slash day enjoyment. Um, just uh, me doing a not quite an interview, but just a, a nice long leisurely conversation with somebody I've admired for, uh, quite a while. Um, it was very fun. So yeah, uh, got a very cool film person scout Tafoya, to, uh, sit down with me, so to speak, um, for a bit and, uh, talk about some, some cool movies and his work and whatnot. Um, so we'll get to that, uh, very shortly. Um, But before we do, just want to thank everybody for listening to the first episode. Um, If you want to help us out, uh, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, rate, review, comment, um, swear at me on Twitter. Um, But more importantly, just like tell your friends about it. You know, you've got friends who like movies. um, You know, and they you maybe they're looking for something new to listen to. Uh, You know, maybe. Maybe they'll like uh, what we're doing about movies, and then we can all be friends and talk about movies together. Uh, so that'd be cool. So, again, Happy New Year, and hope you enjoy this uh, this nice talk I had with Scout. Awesome. All right. So, uh, yeah, Scout. Um, so... I can I uh, so, tell people who yeah. you are, what I you're am, doing?
1: Uh, I am Scout Tafoya, I am a, uh, a film critic and film director and uh, video essayist, which is sort of somewhere right between the two uh, other jobs. Um, and uh, I live in Astoria, Queens. I um, I have been making video essays since um, like mid 2013. Um, so you can find me, uh, any number of places. I'm most frequently on RogerEbert.com, uh, which is home to The Unloved, which was a series I started in late 2013. I got like a, like a dream millennial hire situation where, uh, I was literally talking to Matt Seitz on Twitter one day about the movie Reality by the great Matteo Garone, or Garone, um, who I remain a big fan of. His movie Dogman kind of didn't really come out this year but uh, that's that's a good one. It's a very tough film but it's a very good movie. Um, anyway so we were talking on Twitter one day and he just happened to look at my bio back when he had time for that. I don't know how he had time for that <laughs> but he, he did and he saw that I made uh, films. He watched the trailer for my movie The Last Flesh and Blood Show and um, and then asked me if I wanted to pitch him video essays and I didn't really understand how they worked really. Like I knew that you know, he made them. I know that he and Kevin Lee were like the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the father of that subgenre as we understand it today. Um, yeah. You know, there are 10,000 YouTuber, YouTubers and Vimeo film critics and stuff like that who do things that all come out of the Mad Sides Kevin Lee playbook. But um, so I did a couple of things for them throughout 2013 and then came up with this idea for talking about movies that I, you know, thought were more interesting than their reputations suggested. Um and uh so the first one I did was alien three, and that was uh five years ago <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, uh, yeah, hell, yeah, I mean that's uh I mean, that's what introduced me to your your whole oeuvre, um loved that that video essay, and uh yeah, it, it really clarified a lot of stuff that I had been feeling about alien three um so like my history with it is like I don't think I watched all three a- or the whole alien saga until like, I don't know, end of high school or whatever. But I, when I did, I watched them all in like pretty quick, quick succession, Mm -hmm. like alien aliens. And then I get to alien three. So you have this like big triumphant ending of aliens. And then the beginning of alien three is just this punch in the gut. And you know, where it seems like the, the sort of uh, like popular reaction to that is like, I've been betrayed by the filmmaker. Like I was just like, okay, there's a reason. There's a reason this decision was made. And I'm devastated. And so ultimately, I think I had the most powerful, like emotional reaction to Alien 3. And that just sort of snowballed to the point where that is just straight up my favorite alien movie. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Just because it is so uh, frustrating, but uh, in a good way.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting to still talk about that idea of being betrayed by something. And I think we've 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 since uh you know kind of um come up with a with a genus and and species for these kinds of reactions you know uh in the wake of this but at the time it must have just seemed like people were pissed off that you know this 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 thing which had been again about the sort of triumph of humanity and specifically femininity was this very bleak you know kind of wallow um it didn't help at all that the film was completely boulderized by David Geiler and Walter Hill uh, in, in yeah. during the shooting and in post yeah. um, you know where where you've got one of the great visual stylists of you know the late 20th and the early 21st century making his debut and you've got these guys you know who just don't understand what he's doing they don't get any, like and it's so funny to me that Walter Hill would be sort of I like I understand that Geiler is sort of the you know the The bigger culprit here But It's just funny to me That like Walter Hill Who has a great uh, Relationship to Female characters And I think specifically He's done a lot To kind of atone For fucking With the Alien movies in, In the last couple of years um specifically i'm thinking of like the assignment the assignment is is a great film that i was again an unloved candidate Uh, (laughs) so clearly i'm the only one who fixed that but anyway um yeah so you know every day on set was complete torment they were they were like belittling him in front of the crew and the cast he had been famous at that point david fincher little background was a guy who was trying to rent equipment to make short films i want to say in like the mid 80s in los angeles and all of the good equipment had been uh checked out by a star wars production and he called them on the phone and was like can you guys give back some of the fucking steady cams or whatever the thing was that he was looking for and they were like <laughs> how did you figure out like how did you know that we were like we had taken them all and like he explained that you know all the research he had done and all this stuff um and uh and so they hired him to do you know like crew work on uh, Return of the Jedi. That's, like, my understanding of his, like, origin story. And then immediately he moves into short films and advertisements and um, uh, music videos. Music videos, that's right, yes. He did a lot of great work for Madonna. Um, Yeah, yeah. You know, just, like, guy clearly had an eye. He was just so good with everything. I wish he worked in black and white more often, to be honest with you, because he did black and white for Madonna that he hasn't since replicated, which is a fucking bummer because he's really good at it. But anyway, so... Giler would come on set, you know, when when he's making these kind of, you know, clearly artistically motivated decisions that are holding up, you know, shooting for longer than he would like, and he'd be like, what are you going to listen to this, like, guy for? He's a fucking shoe salesman, which is just so awesome, like, you know, from somebody who is a producer in 20th Century Fox to be fucking complaining about another filmmaker's mercenary, like, corporatism is so classic Hollywood.
0: Oh my god, uh, I don't know, that's kind of funny. So, like, yeah, the, I mean, so... uh, I mean, you alluded to it in in the Unloved that, like, you know, most of it, most of the discussion around Alien Three is the production. And I mean, I I do want to get one quick thing in before we move on on that, but because it is a fascinating, uh, totally just mess. Uh, But that, uh, you know, before Fincher came on, they had you know Vincent Ward, yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely, doing that. uh, You know, I guess I the only movie I'm super familiar with is What Dreams May Come, but yes, that's right. Since finding.
1: He, he's uh, he's a fascinating filmmaker, um, also um, famous for uh, the River Queen and the navigator right, and right. Uh, so he was yeah he was sort of the great white hope of uh, New Zealand uh, filmmaking before Peter Jackson came along. and Alien 3 I think really would have cemented his reputation if they hadn't completely ruined it um, before yeah. he, you know even got a chance to you know uh, yeah. get started on it. But um, his vision of it – and I, this is – my friend uh, Tucker Johnson and I are obsessed with Alien 3. We love Alien – like, we've done feature-length commentary on Alien 3. We love it so much.
0: Um, okay, I'm looking that up. For yeah, sure.
1: yeah <laughs> you got it. We just, like – it's just us, basically, with our jaws on the floor going, come right. on, for, like, three hours. But anyway, um, so w- we've always said that if we get famous, you know, like, we've, we've – we, I've made 25 feature films. Tucker's helped me with, like, half of them. If we ever get famous and we ever get a chance to like make movies for trillions of dollars, we're gonna we're gonna shoot every unused Alien Three script. Um, oh hell yeah! Because there's <laughs> so many good ones. Um, yep. William Gibson wrote one that is set in like a, a floating space mall. Um, you know, which, yeah, which, that's right. And the funny thing about all this Alien Three stuff is that every idea in all these screenplays has been regurgitated in some form or other. Like you've seen at this point, so much of the Alien 3 William Gibson draft in modern sci-fi, like, the Space mall being attacked by aliens, I feel like that is more commonly used than, like, anything in Blade Runner. Like, I just feel like that's that is such a thing that became, you know, like, obviously with, you know, post Johnny Mnemonic, which is, you know, kind of like hash William Gibson. It's not real mm-hmm. William Gibson. But, right. um, you know, there's, so that, like, got reused constantly. Eric Red came on board and wrote about a western town in space that um, like, a, like a spaceship crash lands onto with aliens inside of it so it's basically near dark with aliens
0: um, right yeah <laughs> which would have been uh,
1: fucking I... great and Rennie Harlan I think was supposed to direct that I don't know how good he would have how good a job he would have done of it, but like it it's such a good idea yeah. that it would have been He,
0: I mean, Rennie Harlan has his moments. Like, oh, I've I agree. basically enjoyed Die Hard 2 for most of my life, so. yeah, there you go.
1: No, I think I think Rennie Harlan is somebody I think who can do great work if he kind of gets, yeah, if he gets out of his own way. Like, every time a screenplay calls for like ratcheting tension or action. I think he gets into his head that everything everything needs to explode, and go to this mm-hmm. place of complete unreality, which is a shame because at his best, like "Long Kiss Goodnight," or um, you know, "Prison," I think he can do a great job just kind of like capturing a, a, a low key milieu interrupted by action movie or horror movie, you know, uh, incident. Um, I don't know that he I don't know that he was the right man for the job for that thing, but anyway, so then. They hired David Tuey to come on, uh, later mm-hmm. known for *Pitch Black*, and he reused a lot of the ideas for this in those movies. In the right, room yeah, films. I mean, yeah,
0: because yeah, the 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 prison setting I, uh, that's right. definitely I... comes back in a <laughs> mm-hmm. *Chronicles of Riddick*. You know, a, the huge uh, the origin myth of of that entire universe. Right. Oh, yes. Uh,
1: so yeah, so he's uh, he's um, his his draft is a like a a, a floating space. Prison where they're using prisoners for experiments involving the aliens, um, and uh, so obviously they then combine that with Vincent Ward's idea, who they fired like literal days before they're about to start. So Vincent mm-hmm. Ward's idea is a monastery on a planet, sort of designed for these Luddite monks. And I just love in the in the special features of Alien Three, there's an interview with David Guiler where he's talking about. Everybody's talking about how excited they are for the draft, and they've got these beautiful storyboards, and they're showing you the sets and all this stuff. And it's going forward, and everybody's excited and all this stuff, and you're noticing Vincent Ward is not being interviewed, and you're like, huh, I wonder why. And then they they get to the point where they're about to start. They're days from starting. And David Geiler says, and then I thought about this idea, you know, it's a special planet for monks that they built, and they're supposed to hate technology. just didn't make any sense to me. I was like, (laughs) are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) You spent all this money and all this time, and you didn't think about any of this shit until like a day before you were started? Like, oh my god. So they hire Fincher. They scrap the screenplay. They scrap all the storyboards. They've got all these sets built. So they're like, all right, well, we'll just use the monastery as a prison instead. And they just quickly combined like right, the yeah. last three drafts into one story and it's just like I, I can't even imagine how frustrating that must have been
0: yeah uh was, i listened to uh an interview with vincent ward the other day and like uh it was um yeah another uh, another podcast the the projection booth mm-hmm. um, yeah yes. so they had like they have like a like three and a half hour thing and like i i don't really care for their actual commentary on the movie because it's like really standard stuff but they did like several interviews so they got they got vincent ward um one of the late stage screenwriters i forgot his name uh <laughs> and then they got they interviewed lance henrickson and holt mccallany oh god
1: I love <laughs> holt. yeah
0: yeah uh, so it was good but the vincent ward thing so they were like they had heard about like hill and guyler being absolute tyrants on set and he's like I I mean I don't think they were really at fault like 20th Century Fox had just been bought by Rupert Murdoch and so they were trying to do all this like you know they were turning the way he saw it uh you know Alien 3 was going to be like you know this low key like extension of a franchise rather than a tent pole for the studio right um and then Murdoch comes in it's like well we need a fucking tent pole and so they just like the reason there was so much attention put on Alien 3 was like okay this has to like be the big coming out party for the new 20th century Fox. So right, the way uh, right. Ward put it was like uh Hill and Giler weren't, were messengers of death rather than death itself. But <laughs> I, I really liked how he sort of went back to like, okay, there was this like deeper systemic issue, which I mean, doesn't excuse Hill and Giler being assholes on set. But,
1: no, of course not. But yeah. there's, there's, I mean, especially it, it's so funny. Like it's tough to remember now, um, or I, I shouldn't say it's not tough to remember it's, it's, it's interesting to look back on the late 80s because it really was I mean n- you know new Hollywood you know that mythic you know uh, uh, period and all that stuff had effectively died with I mean a couple of things Apocalypse Now and Heaven's Gate mm-hmm. and Popeye um, and then you know the kind of Tony Scott action movie becomes the most popular form in Hollywood and then the era of the you know kind of race car driving producer starts up where these guys they you know robert evans morphs into peter Goober and john peters and jerry bruckheimer and mm-hmm. don simpson and you know so suddenly producers are guys in ferraris zooming around the fucking backlot throwing their weight around and saying like you know like i i think about that uh you know the the kevin smith story about uh his superman film about how you know he's, oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah he's sitting on his couch and he's dictating the movie with his fucking hands up you know pretending that it's the screen saying he must fight a giant spider in act three like that's <laughs> that stuff starts like right around then that you can yep. see it too because you know you take something like beverly hills cup which is a you know, it's Martin Brest, who's a bit of a blue-collar action director, right? You know, he mm-hmm. does he does Midnight Run, which is very much a, a perfect distillation of his style. So he does Beverly Hills Cop, which is Eddie Murphy just kind of running around, starting shit, you know, wrecking cars and blah, blah, blah. So, like, you know, just, like, getting up to mischief in his fucking, you know, his uh, his coat. You know, sorry, the, the the jacket that he wears is, like, such a sort yeah. of perfect, you know, it's it's a class, you know, simulacra. And it's supposed to be that he doesn't belong here by the Mm -hmm. next beverly hills cop movie he's driving these fucking fancy cars and he's got the nice suits and he's in the thousand dollar sunglasses and you know then tom cruise becomes this big star and batman has all this you know this kind of like all these markers of rich people writing him um Mm -hmm. you know and it like so that was the era of like excess as the the order of the day um which is why people like Biologus become famous, because they are, they are like, master counter-programmers at a time when Hollywood is spending trillions of dollars on car chases, which is never something that it had been known for. Like, obviously, there are, like, movies like The French Connection, The 7-Ups, but those movies were done, like, basically independently, you know? Right. And then the car chase and the, you know, the fucking, the planes, uh, uh, Nicolas Cage in that movie... Uh, uh, Firebird, I want to say, or 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 Free Fire, or whatever it is, where he plays a fucking you know macho fighter jet, that shit, and they get into bed with the military because they want all their equipment right, and all. Yeah. So you know everything is big. You know there there are the big movies that have to compete with Hollywood, and then there are the big Hollywood movies. It's um, you know the only person you know like and it's funny like even even like Woody Allen and folks like that get into this because their his casts explode. That's when like he starts only casting celebrities and everything he works with every major actor today. the day and i think that that has to sort of somewhere be in the back of his mind that he has to compete with the john peters of the world so alien 3 i can completely understand that being this thing where suddenly it's you know it's 20th century fox and we're you know we're, we're back or whatever right yeah
0: <laughs> got all this uh you know, flush with, with cash yes, from a exactly. deranged Australian media <laughs> billionaire. <right>. Like, yes. <laughs> yes. oh man. And then, I mean, yeah, despite, uh, you know, all these problems with the production, like some sort of voice comes through. Like the movie is beautiful to look at. 100%. Um, like I, I really think the, the only thing that didn't go well is like, I mean, I think the, the script is kind of a mess, but I was looking at everything. The the direction is spot on. The cinematography is spot on the set design uh the performances that it's it's yeah. all there it's like it's just a cobbled together script and then a few unfortunate vfx shots that really didn't need to be in there yes.
1: <laughs> and and that i can it, i can almost like you know i i've seen hours and hours of behind the scenes stuff and interviews with all those guys and i you can tell that if they had another 6 months they'd have figured it out they'd have corrected it because and i will say the alien suit in Alien 3 is the most beautiful it ever got
0: oh oh it's yeah incredible
1: and if they had just figured out a way to get Tom Woodruff to do all that ceiling crawling shit um then they would have been there would have been no problem with any of that effect stuff um because I think that it was it was a, it was a casualty of time because they've got the like they've obviously got the camera worked out where they're doing the alien vision thing. They got that mm-hmm. you know that's that um that special thin camera there that they've got, um, especially in the in the in the lead foundry stuff in the ending. Um, oh yeah. And I just think that if they had figured out a way to make it look as though Tom Woodruff in the alien costume was moving instead of processing in like a stop motion puppet like i i used to know exactly what the, the thing is that gives you that that thing that makes it look like a cartoon drawn onto the frame um, right yeah i mean can... i No, sorry from
0: yeah from what i've heard that was like just really early cgi so i mean well I think... it
1: wasn't cgi because there is one computer generated shot in the whole movie and that is his skull cracking when they drop the water from the sprinklers on him um,
0: oh, okay.
1: That's the only okay, that... computer-generated shot in the movie. So I remember it was, that.
0: It was a puppet, but it was just, like, badly composited. That is exactly what it is. Yes, that's right. right. It
1: was, they literally, so they got the puppet, and they're filming it, you know, separately, and then they're trying to throw it into the frame, but obviously they're shooting in such low light that mm-hmm. getting the composite exactly, and especially without, you know, trillions of dollars to spend specifically on that process, right. and not having, you know, all the time in the world to get it right, like, naturally, it was not going to look the way that it was supposed to. And it's so funny, you know, again, if they had just waited, what? Alien 3 came out in 92, right?
0: Yeah, the, yeah, yeah.
1: The next year, Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the next fucking year. Can you imagine how pissed off everyone at Fox <gasps> must have been?
0: Like... Right, Universal you know,
1: beats them a year
0: later. Right to with the right and like Jurassic Park still looks like fucking phenomenal. Yeah, it like, still
1: looks terrific. It's funny. Well, the the effects look great. They they have never figured out a way to transfer that film for for home video yet. Um, uh, uh-huh. I understand there's a better Blu-ray of it than the one that I saw, but for years the only good way to watch that was on VHS, which is like very weird. But there's something about the texture of the VHS, you know, the, the actual magnetic tape. That preserved the look of that movie because on DVD and on Blu-ray it looks way too bright. It looks like a behind-the-scenes featurette. Um, Oh, interesting. Yeah, it was one of those films. It was like that was to me always going to be the sort of bellwether for home video. Is if somebody could make um, Jurassic Park look the way that it used to uh, when it was on, uh, you know, when I saw it as a kid, basically, then I knew that home video was going to be where it was meant to be. But nobody's done it yet, at least as far as I can tell. But the effects are still terrific. Um you know, there's no denying yeah. that the fucking dinosaurs look like dinosaurs.
0: Right, yeah. Uh actual stuff man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh <laughs> why can't we why can't we do that anymore? Right. Just like uh you know, put put as much as you can into the practical effects and then clean it up with uh, I mean right. like you know, Fincher has since become a master of that and he doesn't do like uh, you know, sci-fi stuff at all but like uh well uh, like zodiac or gone girl like are just there's tons of cgi shots or social network social network yes um army hammer head cloning thing and that still looks pretty good i mean today on a you know my my 720p dvd copy of it but (laughs) no it's true
1: well yeah it's i i i think it's probably no coincidence that this guy you know steps out of the most troubled effects movie of you know the uh, the early 90s and makes it his goal to perfect the uh, unobtrusive um cgi movie you know like it starts with uh panic room obviously with those those Mm -hmm. those crazy shots through the kitchen and through the walls and stuff like that and benjamin button which you know hasn't I, i think it's maybe aged a little better than it looked initially um but uh you know there's and then uh yeah and then since he's basically i don't think you can spot cgi in his movies anymore and certainly not in his tv shows whether it's uh that terrible house of cards or Mindhunter, which I haven't really dug into yet. But yeah. I wanna say I, Mind, I enjoyed
0: Mindhunter. I'll I I that I
1: have no excuse to have not having seen it, especially <laughs> because I'm such a huge Holt McElheny fan. And that comes from him being an Alien Three. Right, I have yeah. been obsessed with Fincher his relationship to Alien Three because he doesn't really work with anybody who was in a part of that film anymore because it was such mm-hmm. a terrible experience. And I was thinking to myself, like when he finally puts one of those guys in, like, a big, meaty character role, then I'll know that he's, like, kind of gotten over it. And the fact that he put Holt as, you know, basically second lead in Mindhunter, uh, I was like, okay, cool. So that, he's like...
0: Well, I mean, he had a, Holt was in a fight club, I think.
1: Yes, and I believe he's got a small role. He and, he and Charles Dutton are both uncredited in uh, Seven. Um, oh, interesting. I think. Anyway, I may be misremembering this. I did all this research, you know, five years ago. So, Right, I'm right. right of, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of remembering a memory. Um, but uh, it's, yeah, it's, you know, I, I just, I love Holt so much because I think Holt has my, uh, among my favorite moments, 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 moments in a- Alien 3, which is the, uh, uh, the scene where they they they're trying to trap him in the thing so they can blow him up with the you know the napalm basically. Oh yeah, yeah. And I mean it's just such a perfect it's a perfect character moment for everybody involved because Sigourney Weaver is is trying to put out these poor bastards who are all burning you know burning alive in front of her mm-hmm. and she sees that the two guys who she's like helping out are the two guys who tried to rape her a couple of scenes ago and she makes eye contact with Holt's character. And uh, and he just gives this look like he knows that he fucked up so badly, and he's just like, you know, I can't he can't quite like he knows there's nothing he can do. And then seconds later, they, you know, they they pull him out of the 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 thing. Charles Dutton pushes them off, and Holt gets this very weird, you know, drop frame kind of slow. And this is all in the assemble cut, by the way. They cut this all yeah. out of the theatrical because oh yeah yeah it's uh, yeah why? I just rewatched
0: the. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the assembly cut last night and it's like shit, that's such a good anyway. Anyway,
1: yeah. so he they, they pushes him along and he gets this little close up. This is like this is how this is how like good Fincher was at this stuff, even this early. He this close up, this quick drop frame slow-mo close up as he's walking away and he's battered and he's and he's you know, he's fucking on fire and he's like completely blown in and his friend has just got his face burnt up and all this stuff, and then they he gets separated from everybody, and he's between you know the alien is between him and his friends, and behind him is this these vault basically mm-hmm. this toxic waste vault, and he takes you know he he draws the thing away into the vault so that they can trap it in there, and it's just like that's how you do villains right there. It's yeah. like it doesn't redeem him, but it's like it's a it's a thing where he's thinking about it like I I messed up. I messed up everything and this is yep. the only shot I'm ever gonna have. I'm trillions of miles away from everything I've ever known in a prison run yeah. by lunatics. And this is how I'm gonna actually like make a difference, you know, to, to like save my charred up friend who's been following my lead and all this stuff like it's just it's awesome.
0: It's yeah, just it's... such
1: an awesome character beat.
0: Oh, for yeah, for sure, and then I mean, yeah, and then of course Ripley's the one who you know gets to push the button mm-hmm. to yes. seal him and in has with to the hear helmet. him
1: screaming. Oh, yeah. God, yeah, that was just awesome. He's so good in that movie. Everybody's so good in that movie. There isn't yeah. like, a bad performance in that film. I know Paul Paul uh, uh, McGann complained a little bit about giving being given conflicting direction and stuff like that, but yeah. I think he's great. I really do. I think. He's, I,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, it's he's a. I don't he's a really interesting character that uh I don't know I I think cements uh alien's place like I don't know the the Lovecraft influence really sure, gets sure. cemented with that you know it's yes, like yes, you're it's
1: right. the, yeah I hadn't thought about um, that you're 100% he's, right
0: Yeah he's the one who uh you know he's awe inspired by it and he's like driven more insane and like tries to like you know become an acolyte of the dragon yes. you know and, Uh, And
1: that's such a huge part of the Lovecraft thing. I didn't even think about that. That's fantastic analysis. Yeah, of course. I mean, because the whole thing in Lovecraft is you've got guys driven mad by an evil they can't describe. And the more that they try, the more crazy they sound. And that's like, ah, that's great.
0: Yep. See, this is the
1: movie that keeps on giving.
0: (laughs) Right, yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, ah, because it's (laughs) like when you, yeah, you look at stuff like, you know, Aliens was, I think, still kind of the most successful entry in the franchise, but it's the aberration. It's the... Mm -hmm. It really is the one that doesn't fit, because, like you know alien if if ridley scott had his way it was going to be this you know dour beast of a movie that just was going to leave you feeling awful because like wasn't the original ending like the alien was going to like use ellen ripley's head as a puppet and send a message back to earth or something to like (laughs) you know nobody was supposed to make it out of i think maybe the original dan o'bannon script like nobody was supposed to make it out alive well
1: the funny thing the the dan o'bannon thing is interesting because he's like so clearly the kind of you know like Hot smoking ucla student or you know whatever, yeah. whatever school he and carpenter both went to where he's got these like you know he's raised on 50s b movies i mean the alien script is basically um it the terror from outer space um yeah you know it's 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 a bunch of guys in a ship with a thing the thing makes its way through the craft looking to kill them all it the terror from outer space by the way if you haven't seen that podcast audience you gotta track that down that's a lot of fun um So, you know, that's what that is. There's a little bit of modern, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's dark starred, but it's, it's that. And then Mm -hmm. Ridley Scott comes on and he turns it into a piece of fucking religious art. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. You know, (laughs) it's, uh, it's, it's awesome the compromise there. You know, I, I, I I think a good way uh, to, to, um, uh, to think about what could have been, I think, is to watch Alien Covenant. Which is a oh, yeah. super fucking bummer in many ways, yeah, and yeah, absolutely it's... like playful in its grotesquerie and in its dourness. That this is a yeah. film that like lures people into fucking showers and kills them and stuff like this, and you know, like it's it behaves very much like a weird transplant from what Ridley Scott could have done with the first Alien.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely, and I think that one had like a similar. Um like when i mean i managed to see that one in theaters and like that had a similar sort of gut punch that yeah, uh man. like I, I i for whatever reason like the thing that haunts me the most is when uh billy crudup wakes up and like michael's oh uh, yeah dude. unleashing the alien he's like when i was a boy i saw the devil you know like, yeah. i'm just like shit like this is okay this is what this movie is now and mm-hmm. it's you know very of a piece of like what Ridley Scott wanted to do with the original alien and like Prometheus kind of failed at, but that's kind of the Lindelof script. I, anyway, yeah. No, uh, the, yeah.
1: Prometheus, I think is like, uh, so like I, it, Prometheus is not a super successful film on its own terms. I think on yeah. wild other terms that you can bring to it. I think it's a success.
0: Um, oh yeah. I mean, it's a, uh, I'll, I'll stand for it. Like it's, it's interesting. Like the, I mean, yeah, it works. It's I, so the thing is like a, alien uh three does what prometheus needed to do like it yeah it keeps all the ideas quiet and like in prometheus like it just explains the idea of the movie oh we're you know this is about theology you know Mm -hmm. rather than like implying it like instead of just being like you know that story is fine but then you have the guy it's like we're trying to find our origins and i want to meet god and live forever it's like no, keep that under the surface. That's yeah. subtext. That's not actual text. That's yes, anyway, yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. But that's yes,
1: and that's the Damon Little touch. There is to make everything fucking text because you're like way too impatient. Like right, the problem <laughs> with so many young writers. I'm saying young. They're probably in their fucking forties at this point. Oh but yeah. The problem yeah. with the, like this generation of like frequently hired screenwriters. Every one of them was told they were a genius, and now they all believe oh, it, yeah. and so they they don't they they're so impatient to show you their ideas. Um. William Monahan is kind of like that too, and he's another guy who's worked with Ridley Scott. Like they all, they can't help but but play their hand fucking immediately. You know, there is no there is no suspense built into that stuff, which is I think part of why I was like such a fan of Alien Covenant is because it immediately starts with catastrophe and then stops, and then immediately <laughs> goes into more catastrophe and then stops. And I'm like, well, where the fuck else can you go? Everybody's dead.
0: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> But it and was, then, like, oh, so right. gross. It was such a great, gross movie
1: like, I mean, with everybody getting their fucking faces pulled off and everything. Like Right, I
0: mean, it's like... uh, uh I don't, Yeah, Covenant and Alien 3, I think, just straight up have the best kills in the series. <laughs> like, it's the best gore in the series. It's uh, so good, and it's between so those
1: disgusting. Two. I love like,
0: it. I mean, uh, oh, man, like... uh, I mean, Covenant has shots that, like... I don't know, like, there's some similar shit that wound up in Hereditary. Like, <laughs> yeah, the head, I'm just saying, th- like, the head floating in the, yeah. the thi- like, I mean, it is, yeah, severed heads are severed heads, but it's like, yeah, there's just that shot of that poor woman who got decapitated, and then it's just her head floating, floating in that up. fountain
1: for, like, it? way too long. There's a great video essay about the religious art that influenced the visual style of Alien Covenant. Um... Uh, i'm trying to remember who did it but I, it's it's yeah. awesome because it's got like all the stuff
0: oh the, is that a uh, priscilla pages uh, yes yes I in birth movies so. Death. yes yeah. i did read that that was excellent
1: um it's it, it was just like the coolest <laughs> um <Yeah. laughs> because like it, it, it it's everything i've always liked about ridley scott is that ridley scott is essentially a and like someday i'll you know write this book but he's you know, he's the, uh, the, 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 like, the court painter of of Hollywood. Like, he's he's von Sternbergian in his fetishistic aesthetic. I don't think that they are at all similar as filmmakers, but I do think that there is a similar, um, you know, reliance on and love of what the camera can do, um, you know, in, in turning simple ideas into these very, you know, these kind of... Uh, beautiful uh, uh, prostrate uh, uh no i'm sorry here it is alien covenant art references um by uh santana lopez um everybody should watch that because it's a great little summation of of like the film's visual virtues um but yeah he's he's got a little of that von sternberg thing but he's also just kind of got this like rembrandt thing where he captures the the you know both the important moments and the downtime of uh of the aristocracy um and he's always been fascinated by that stuff and that's like why every like people complaining about the plots of Ridley scott movies has always bothered me because it's like yeah he didn't pick the fucking script because he thought the story made sense right he saw yeah. it as a conduit <laughs> for his incredible visual style um, yeah it's
0: yeah. Uh, i don't I, just a, a funny little thing like i uh, i had watched a uh, um alien with uh a friend who had uh, hadn't seen it before. And so we got to the, you know, the uh, Harry Dean Stanton death scene. Oh yeah. And she was just like, what, uh, what is this room? What is it? Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. Why are there chains hanging down? I'm like, I, I think it's, you know, why is it raining in there? And yep. then you try to look it up and Ridley Scott's like, I just thought it looked cool. Yeah, I mean, we can explain it later. And I'm like, hell yeah, dude. It does look fucking cool. That's the way to
1: do it, man. Like, we have have gotten to this point, I mean, especially today, where everything has to be fucking explained. And I think that that is the most interesting thing, maybe, you know, from a sort of metatextual level on Alien Covenant, is the idea that it's a movie that is attempting to explain a movie that didn't need to be explained, that in itself makes all these decisions where you're like wait a minute what the fuck are you talking about yeah. like it's an unapologetic conundrum in yeah. service of a an explanation that you were never going to need you know like right. it's wild
0: The the practical thing is, like, in order for Ridley Scott to, like, explore those ideas on such a grand scale, he has to make another fucking franchise entry. Like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, nobody's mm going to trust him to do... Like, he tried to do Prometheus as, like, a different sci-fi thing. And they wouldn't let him do it. But they're just like, no, you have to, like, put a little alien in that. And he's like, okay. And then they're like, okay, I guess I'll make Alien Covenant now. And, I mean, apparently that one did well enough worldwide that he gets to make another one. Maybe not quite at the same budget, but
1: who fucking cares as long as he's still yeah. doing it you know
0: like, uh, it's gonna be yeah psychotic and amazing I'm
1: so ready uh, <laughs> like I honestly cause like every time he does this he gets a little closer to I think what is probably like the ideal in this situation like Alien Covenant makes very little sense when you see it the first time but it's so fucking mm-hmm. like awesome and gross that you're like kind of mesmerized <laughs> by it one way or the other um and then you know Prometheus I think could have used a lot more of that stuff
0: and, yeah it did. It does succeed that uh, that medical pod like abortion oh, scene. God, the best is t- that. The oh best. my God, <laughs> the best.
1: And like I, I I I think it's kind of funny too that like these movies have a sort of um, like a like a prom night Friday the Thirteenth kind of logic where they can't obviously keep everybody around because nobody's schedule works out. So they're just gonna mm-hmm. fucking kill you in the right. worst way possible. You know,
0: it, uh, right because no yeah Nomi rapaz shows up in alien covenant is like just this seconds, like chi- yeah. yeah chimera like on a table yeah, it's just like this gross oh shit
1: autopsy thing that he's embalmed and everything like it's yeah oh, <laughs> God, yeah it's just I don't know. and that's like i honestly whatever people's you know and i remember people like really taking against this film and like i you know back when i still har- argued with people on facebook for more than a second right. before blogging them um yep. <laughs> my <laughs> my buddy uh, uh dave charisero is a drummer in a great band called psychic teens he hated the film and i was like i don't know what more you wanted from this this is a movie by a 78 year old about the nature of creation and existence whose lead character is a nazi robot making aliens in his basement (laughs) like (laughs) i don't know i don't know what the hell else you want like i like i understand it would be great to have another movie just like alien it's never gonna happen it's never gonna fucking happen our new crop of like you know young horror movie uh, filmmakers are apparently not patient enough to be able to do this. Like I wouldn't be shocked if Robert Eggers did something similar because he seems to genuinely have an interesting idea about you know pacing and aesthetic mm-hmm. and and, uh, and production design certainly, which is very important. Um, but like there's just no way that your Ari Aster's or you know Panos Cosmatos are ever going to make anything as completely Sui Generis as Alien was. Because you guys are all playing in the same aesthetic sandbox where everything looks like everything else. And every movie yeah. is about other movies. That's why when I see something like Widows today, I'm like oh, God. like, oh, wow, this isn't about other movies. This isn't a movie about heist movies. This is a movie where every frame is like a Gregory Crudson photograph. Like, right. It's a uh, film yeah. that operates on its own you know, very peculiar um, you know, artistic terms. And you know, I understand people don't maybe like it because so and so isn't realistic or blah 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 blah. But it's just like, I don't
0: know. <sighs> Dude, yeah, Widows was fucking incredible, I and loved didn't it! like it. <laughs> that's like, that's. I, I uh, mean, oh <sighs> man, it was it was kind of cool. Like I I went to it. Like I was excited for it. Okay, I'm like, all right, ensemble heist movie. Viola Davis, Michelle Rodriguez, Elizabeth Debicki. Yeah, Liam Neeson's in there for some reason. Yep. John Bernthal's in there. It's like it's Steve McQueen's directing. Uh, I'm down for this then I go there and I'm like oh holy shit this is a sh- Chicago movie yeah. and then like on the drive back from the theater I passed like Fireside Bowl where Daniel yeah! Kaleean, like, like stabbed that oh, dude that's and Kevin J.
1: O'Connor like... <laughs> that's he's one of my fucking heroes I love yeah. Kevin J. O'Connor so much he's one of my favorite character actors um and him playing a yeah, he's legion he's the bowling alley owner is honestly right. like the part he was born to play
0: because <laughs> he was the uh, yeah he was the brother in uh, there will be blood right that's right yeah. yes and okay yeah up. yeah that's because yeah. yeah i've seen him and i just yeah, he's, never yeah he's been in a
1: zillion things it's funny to yeah. me to go, to look back on him now because back in the day he was like gonna be the next james dean um he if they had treated oh, him wow. right if he hadn't ever done the mummy um basically if john peters and his ilk hadn't like ruined hollywood he would have been the next big thing because he's great in peggy sue got married he's great okay. in robert frank the photographer robert frank um uh, made a movie called uh, candy mountain which is honestly one of the like great unsung end of hollywood movies and like end of america movies frankly oh wow um kevin J. o'connor plays a young guy who has to uh i think he's 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 delivering a guitar or he's buying a guitar from a famous reclusive luthier who lives in middle of nowhere like British Columbia. So he takes a, a road trip from New York to the fucking ass end of Arctic Canada looking for a guy. And on the way, he meets Tom Waits. He meets Leon Redbone. Um, like, it's one of the great films ever. And Kevin J. O'Connor fucking just nails it. Oh, He's man. so good in this movie. And that was like, again, if, if there had been a space for him to become James Dean, he absolutely would have been. But because it was the oh, yeah. '90s, he did The Mummy, where he plays the fucking annoying best friend, and then he's in right. Van Helsing, and his career goes off the rails. But people like Paul Thomas Anderson and Steven Queen know that that guy is talented, so now they're hiring to play like. So he's great in The Master for about ten minutes, where he's the guy who greets them when they show up in, uh, I want to say Philadelphia. Um, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then, Walking <laughs> Phoenix takes him outside of the rally and beats the shit out of him. Right. After he calls... (laughs) What does he call it? He's like, I think it's... It's like grade A uh, mysticism, I think is what he says. I think it's grade A mysticism. (laughs) The man's a charlatan or whatever. Right. And he takes him outside and kicks the shit out of him. (laughs) But, um, yeah, Widows, Widows, I think, is the kind of movie that we're going to get, you know, even if we don't get Alien, is is you get a guy who goes into a genre that's been done 10 trillion times, and he acts like it's never been done before. Um, And so you get visual... Risks and and these great I mean just like the shot of the crime scene where there are ten thousand pieces of evidence you know blown up from the truck and there's all these little flags and everything around the tr- I was like that right there that's one of the prettiest pictures I've seen all year and one of the oh, most yeah. evocative and carefully done you can tell that it wasn't just that he hired you know a production like an art direction team and said make this look like like you can tell that he really thought about the placement of every right. single geometric pattern. there
0: was a yeah there was like a, a thing um like a little stinger where steve mcqueen was actually like on screen just before the movie played and he's like I saw all that. right yeah 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 I saw yeah, yeah, i've been this has been a labor of love i've been you know this has been my dream project since i was like 10 years old i hope you like it and it's like i believe it this dude has like had notebooks on this like since he was that young like yeah,
1: absolutely and that was like you can you can so I mean that's Steve McQueen will always get this weird, like he'll never get the respect that I think that he deserves because he was a guy who started out in video art and installation uh, art and gallery okay. you know spaces and stuff like that. And this is I mean he knows his history. Like he knows he's a Ken Russell fan and he's a he's clearly a Michael Reeves fan. Like he's he's operating on a level that we tend to associate with young white guys. In, in this country especially I mean something like Hereditary or um, mm-hmm. uh, God what the hell uh, or like uh, oh, like when Suspiria came out and everybody was like you know like oh it's you know it's uh, I, there's this thing with, with white male horror directors where we want to say these guys clearly have done their homework even if right. it doesn't matter one way or the other if they have whereas yeah. Steve McQueen a black British guy who makes movies about I mean slavery and yeah. sex addiction and prison we mm-hmm. want to take their authority away, I think, because it means not having to actually have hard conversations about the subject yeah. matter, you know, versus how he treats the subject matter. I think, honestly, you know, I, I, Shame is a little histrionic um, mm-hmm. in, in the way that it treats, you know, that specific character's, you know, uh, journey through that stuff. And I, I I, don't know that there was a way to make that movie without it being a little histrionic. Um But that movie is still fucking gorgeous. Like, (laughs) that's still one of the prettiest films and one of the most kind of arresting and shocking, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, just from a lighting standpoint and from a kind of compositional standpoint. Like, you know, again, and this is the thing, even if it's a movie that I am ideologically, you know, on the fence about, it's still beautiful. Like, I love that fucking movie. Right. (laughs) It's terrific. Um but that's the thing is that it's it's harder to have those conversations when you know you we, 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 like we become the japanese talking about Yukio Mishima, where we can't all agree on something and so we agree not to talk about it
0: yeah yeah
1: um but i yeah i think widows is widows is awesome that was that was one of my that's in my top 10 for the year no uh, doubt yeah, in I my mind like <laughs> breaking a sweat
0: I think that yeah, that was like one of five movies I saw in theaters this year, and I'm like, okay, yep, that was that was the best yeah, one. Yeah, that's really <laughs> all you need. <laughs> and it wasn't an, un-
1: an uncommonly good year for film, but um, that was yeah. that was a real standout. Um, but yeah, that's uh, you know that's 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 I think what we you know we're gonna get we're not gonna get Alien again. If we want to get Alien again, we got to stop expecting it to be Alien. We have to right, take yeah. the gifts no, that we get, you know.
0: I yeah, it's like I, you know, I've been thinking about this. Like, uh, okay, so we're we're basically headed towards like media entertainment apocalypse. Like everything's just, I don't know, cannibalizing itself. The availability is like going down, and you can't get anything made unless it's already part of a franchise. It's like, what do we do? Do we just wait for it to explode mm-hmm. and then we get and then we'll get some new stuff? Like. I don't know. It's hard to see, it, but there are, there are cracks. There are these fissures. Like, I, you know, you were uh, talking about that, uh, that John Hyams movie earlier. Yeah. Like, I mean, that stuff exists. It's just like, uh, you know, film is no longer the primary artwork, you know, uh, p- uh, genre or what, what word am I thinking of? Uh, but it's not the primary thing. It's like, I don't know, probably just YouTube shit. <laughs> now. But like, uh <laughs> Uh, just as far as like what's being talked about, what most people are yes, seeing, and yes, so now I mean yes. like now it's like okay, now we have to like just praise the end of Hollywood, so like the true believers can you know take yeah. the helm again. And it's,
1: yeah, no, it, I I know exactly what you're talking about because we are absolutely. I I I would say we're like we're like ten years away, you know. Uh, hopefully, I that's that's a that's like a. That's a hopeful estimate of being at the place where okay. So this is a good way to segue into the Predator, which you know. Mm-hmm. So here's the Alien was the first unloved. The Predator is the sixty first unloved. Yeah. Um, that's it's coming out on uh, on January first or thereabouts. I Hell think. yeah! Depends when. Uh, oh,
0: when, when dude, we... we're gonna get some hot content synergy going up, going on. Then. <laughs> but <laughs> let me be... draft off your coattails. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's gonna be good, man. It's gonna be good um but this is this is exactly I, I i think you know i was talking to my dad about this where if you know we're we're, we're we're about 10 years away i think i hope from the point where the shit that went on on the set of alien 3 will not happen again where people like shane black and bless shane black i love the dude to pieces i think he's one of my favorite he's one of my favorite writers like hand down mm-hmm. and he's a terrific director he knows how to shoot action he really does he's a great filmmaker. Uh, and he was just, like, born to do this stuff. But he's a white guy, raised in a very troubled time, who came of age at that fucking moment where the super producers took over, who thinks he can get away with anything. And so he hires his friend, who is a convicted sex offender, oh, to have yeah. a little part of the movie, and then the film gets taken away from him and cut to ribbons by morons because he fucked up. And more than, he, more than that he fucked up, he didn't get out ahead of him having fucked up so badly and he fucking threw his cast into the fucking lion's den of explain this to me you know i'm like press people on the on the red carpet you know tell me why this movie exists and what's the fucking problem and why did you blah blah blah. like yeah you know that catastrophe would a never have happened if the director was a woman Mm -hmm. um b uh just think if we hadn't had the Me Too movement, and Olivia Munn had discovered that a registered sex offender was on the set of a movie whose <laughs> uh, top billed cast member is a child, <laughs>
0: like, right? <just> yeah.
1: <laughs> imagine like that's the like we're in this we're in the nether region right now, man. We're in purgatory between yeah. you can do anything you want, and nobody gives a shit, and you're never going to jail for any of this shit because you're famous. Yeah. versus where we will be when we've actually properly done the work that the me too stuff has like set the ground for, yeah. and in the meantime we're in this weird place where you can still have your film taken away from you and also you'll sort of kind of be punished for giving money to a pedophile but mm-hmm. ultimately i'd be willing to bet that Chain black will still be directing in about three years which is like a very weird conflicting thing to say now because yeah. again i grew up with this guy's movies i am a fan oh, of yeah. this guy and yet i'm like what the fuck do i do with you now man like
0: right it's <laughs> yeah it's such a, I, and he's such a weird like uh you know it's i don't know man yeah he's uh, a talented rich white guy so it's he's probably done some shit like yeah. that uh mm-hmm. not that anything's like come public but he's probably he's probably done some shit uh I mean,
1: well, I mean, even even without you know, like I understand the, this this you know impulse here. Like I understand the sort of like you know urge to sort of um, project a little bit onto the class mm-hmm. of, of rich white guys who survived mm-hmm. the Bruckheimer era. You know, like who, yeah. who were who were products of it and molded by it, and you know, kind of did their their uh, their work during that period. Um, but even without imagining that he did worse things than he did. I mean, he still wrote *The Last Boy Scout*, which is one of the most yeah. like, deeply sexist films of all time. <laughs> um, and you know, gave us *Lethal Weapon*, which turned Mel Gibson into a force that we are still reckoning with.
0: Yep. And
1: <laughs> and he gave work to a pedophile and didn't tell anybody he was doing it, and he didn't explain to uh. his actress who he had hired and like written the movie for like hey by the way you're about to be in a scene with a friend of mine who's like like should be in jail right now like it's this is the it's it's accountability is not something that this generation the shane black's generation of directors has ever had to reckon with yeah and it's a fucking shame because like fred decker who co-wrote the movie with him who was an insanely talented guy who had his career cut short for no fucking reason um He really has not taken the Predators, you know, sort of modest to uh, uh, middling success very well because he really worked hard on that shit. And he doesn't know why people are upset about the Shane Black thing or that, like, they can't talk about this or why Hollywood took the movie. Like, I just, like, I can see him not being able to really understand the gears of the machine, you know. Like, I know he knows the machine, but I don't think he knows what it is now. Because he Hmm. wasn't around, really, like, he wasn't on the ground floor when all this shit started happening, and he wasn't around and, like, in the limelight when the Me Too stuff starts. And so to everybody who wasn't really there, and certainly to everybody who wasn't assaulted, you know, or who had bosses who were assaulting people that they were looking the other way for, they don't really get that that's over. It's done now. You can't be those guys anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So. Yeah, so I yeah definitely had heard of that. I, I didn't really read a ton, like, about The Predator. I just saw, like, the trailer. And I'm like, huh, that looks cool. Yeah. And then, I, I mean, I didn't watch it till like, last night. and uh, But damn, yeah, that... Uh, I'd at least peripherally heard about all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, uh, it's
1: uh, extremely fucking troubling, because this is a movie that I really like.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, it's got some bangers in there, man. Um, I, there were two to three scenes that just had me howling, like it's very cleverly written. Um, oh, just yeah. a lot of, you know, it is, it is a hundred percent a Shane black movie. Yes, um, and exactly. it's a very interesting, um, evolution from sort of like, you know, the really austere McTiernan, uh, mm-hmm. style of eight. I mean, it's still maximalist in its own right, but it's like, i don't know like
1: every bit the sort of um yeah it feels like it feels like the like the sidekick to that movie because there isn't there's like maybe maybe a moment in the first predator that kind of shows its hand a little bit and 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 winks at the audience which is i want to say like it's towards the end where schwarzenegger's fighting the guy and he has this moment where something doesn't work and he realizes that like his trap is about to spring on him and he goes oh shit like yep. that moment where you realize that humans are behind this, you know, that there are yep. people here that get a sense of humor <laughs> and stuff like that. But until that, it's really a movie that is all fucking just full steam ahead at all times. Yep, it's um,
0: a, I mean, it's right. It's a it's a you know, individualized stacks of like, you know, 300 pounds of beef yes, basically moving yes, through yes. a jungle and grunting at each <laughs> yes, other. Exactly. And it's amazing. Oh, uh, it's, I mean, one it's, it's one, the one of the best, best things, action movies yes. ever made.
1: I agree. Um, um, and that's and that's exactly, and it's funny to see, you know, McTiernan really did let himself become a little more, you know, kind of, uh, you know, he let the seams show a little bit. Like you can see it in Hunt for Red October, where he's got Alec yeah. Baldwin, you know, being the kind of, you know, who the. the they John McLeaned Alec Baldwin in that one, you know, after that yeah. Hard comes out. You're oh, like, for oh, sure. they want people to be a little sarcastic. Um, but then this which i love is they're not all muscular dudes they're all like nope. actors known as much for you know like like really interesting character performances like oh, Allen, yeah. obviously everybody knows from game of thrones where he does fucking yep. terrific work
0: uh, um, there was that uh i was absolutely delighted when tom jane showed up yeah like his oh my god his uh I don't know. His post-leading man career has, has been, been very interesting, yeah. yes, um, I agree. and he's he is an absolute delight in almost everything I see him in. So. And
1: he's <laughs> so good in this too. And like this is like this is the interesting sort of you know generational divide here, where it's it's a movie written by Shane Black and Fred Decker, and they know more or less that everything like where they were twenty years ago is no longer the case, and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. So they make Keegan Michael Key and Tom Jane lovers, but. They're also old white men who are still kind of, like, completely uncertain how to handle homosexuality. So it's, like, whispered about. It's like there's something sort of, like... 1940s. E about that relationship where it feels very much like a like a fucking Randolph Scott. Oh you know? my
0: god! I didn't even pick up on that. I think I like looked away where it was like mentioned or something. But it's, now, holy shit, that makes so much sense. Yeah,
1: well, because it's like Leopold and Loeb and Rope. You know what I mean? It's yep. like they're gay, but they're not. It's like the two villains in fucking Diamonds Are Forever. Like, yeah, it's yeah. it's 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 because it, again, these guys come from an older place in Hollywood where that stuff. Mm-hmm was either not talked about or was talked about, you know, through codes and, you know, signals and stuff. It was not... Yeah. There was no nothing overt about sexuality in Hollywood for a very long time, you know, it, because of the, you know, censorship stuff that arises after the, you know, quote-unquote pre-code era and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So that's a whole other issue. But homosexuality has never been anything that Hollywood is good at. But it's very mm. funny that the predator comes out that has a central homosexual relationship that is not talked about like it's a homosexual relationship. And... This is the year that gave us, like, love, Simon. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you guys, you were so close. <laughs> you were so close but you fucking don't, you don't even know. You don't know where you are anymore. Like,
0: oh, uh, But uh, they do give those characters, like, get the best death scene in the whole movie. The best. Um, so it's, good. It's... Uh, <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, Tom Jane leaping onto a flaming 12-foot predator yeah. and stabbing it, getting hurled into a tree and impaled on a branch. Yeah. Just that whole sequence of the, the like, just, <laughs> eh, as they, like, point the guns yeah, at each exactly. like, <laughs> other. It's so good.
1: And it's, it's, it's awesome, too, that... The movie treats them with such affection and like such a cuddly thing that really, like, even after the movie is like over, you're like, "Those guys didn't die. This movie's a cartoon. We'll <laughs> be right, back yeah. next <laughs>
0: week." <laughs> <laughs> I don't, oh man, it's such a yeah. It's a very interesting tone for a Predator movie. Yeah. Like, I mean, if it, I mean, uh, much the same way that we want a new Alien, but uh, you know, we want a new Predator, but we're never going to get the Predator exactly, again because, exactly. like that that one's as much a historical accident as anything like totally. uh i don't know so i don't, like the predator is i don't know that's the best you can hope for and i thought it was like a yeah really good like update where yeah it's got that shane black like comedy sheen to it mm-hmm. and it's like why not be a little playful and like uh well because all the yeah. uh, i will say too all the all the jokes land if you can
1: hear them I saw this movie in theaters and because it was so cut to shit mm-hmm. uh, by the you know by the studio and by the like because they got like they, they did like a, a test screening that went really badly um, and so they cut the hell out of it but like so when I saw it I didn't pick up on half the shit that anybody was saying but the like 40 times I've watched it since then I have right. actually found all the jokes. And I'm like, oh, wow, they all work. Like, there isn't a bad joke in the movie. Like,
0: it's fucking very funny. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and it's like, oh, man. uh, One of my notes was, like, uh, Shane Black is, like, the anti-Joss Whedon. Yes! Like, like he does this, you know, uh, Joss Whedon's like, oh, he's got this, like, great quirky dialogue, but it's just, like, epic bacon hubba whatever, you know, like, like, internet speak. And then, like, Shane Black is like, okay, he, he can do the clever sort of, like, self-referential thing but it just sounds like you you know bullshitting with your buddies or whatever like exactly. that that scene where olivia munn like wakes up in the hotel room and like tom jane's yes. like uh eat your pussy and, yeah, 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 like, yeah. Uh, and they go actually, back like, did, did she just out on it and, like, yeah did you just say eat my pussy like and they're, they're trying to explain for me he's like i don't it just
1: yeah because they don't so know how good. to like they don't know how to be honest about their again and it's like such a perfect metaphor for the whole fucking movie they don't know how to be yeah. honest about their limitations as communicators and as people and as people suffering with you know PTSD like yeah. they don't they have no idea how to explain how they happened and yep. as it unfolds in real time where it's just like this fucking just this like like un, like <laughs> it's like pulling a tablecloth you know like the tablecloth magic trick it's like yep. if everything came spilling off instead, that's this crew of people, you yep. know, and and they have no idea how to, like, apologize for themselves in real time, which is, like, very interesting because it really is where we are. I mean, you know, I think about – and this is not at all the same thing, but, like, you know, mm-hmm. when, I, when I come in contact with people on the internet now, I – I want to ask a thousand different questions so that I don't fuck up later in conversation. I want to ask people what their pronouns are mm-hmm. and, you know, if there are things that, like, I shouldn't talk about or shouldn't show them because I want to be my best, you know, version right. of myself. I want to, like, actually treat people's humanity seriously. Um, and, you know, that's that's accurate in, in, in as much as it's very tough to just kind of throw yourself in a high tension situation with people you don't know because there's so many quirks that you'll never fucking work out with these people. And that's, like, the beautiful thing about The Predator is that The Predator just, like, fucking full speed ahead to the end of the movie, which is a bummer because I really would have liked to have spent more time on the RV with those guys. And oh, yeah. to yeah. see them actually work out the little intricacies and in their, you know, personalities and, and their traumas and their, you know, mental illness and stuff like that, I think would have been amazing, but I understand oh, yeah. you know, why, For sure. you know, as a studio, you say no, uh, this is an interesting. get to the part where they're fucking shooting at things. Right. Which is a bummer, because, like, these are some of the best characters in 2018. Like, the yeah. scenes where they're all together are honestly, like, so entertaining. Like, the thing with on them, on the baseball diamond. Um, and Trevante Rhodes shows up in a stolen police car... Throws himself out of the thing, slides across the hood. Olivia Munn like lifts up to let him go, and then points. Like it's just so perfectly yep. timed, and everything. It's just like, God damn it, they did this so well, and no yeah. one will ever know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's uh, I don't um, yeah, just to draw some like you know parallels with Alien Three because this is the new Alien Three, 100% which I hundred percent is get. the um, new Alien Three. Uh, like it uh, so like you know the original predator follows these like you know the elite top of the line military buff guys and they just get decimated yep um and then uh i mean and then it's like the same escalation in a- at least aliens where you see the you know like top of the line like hardcore marines go in um so you have these those things and then like by alien 3 and the predator you've okay in alien 3 you have a bunch of like fucked up religious fundamentalist convicts Mm -hmm. uh you know just totally the dregs of society and then in the predator these uh you know damaged veterans like so you have these like total underdogs that society has cast aside that wind up becoming you know you know playing a role in this very apocalyptic situation um and oh i mean that's such a brilliant thing with alien 3 is it's like it's so small scale but when you realize the stakes of the company wanting to take the alien back, it really is a fight for the end of the world. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, it's... it's yeah. and,
1: and it's awesome, too, I think. Like, Alien 3 does an interesting thing, you know, kind of with that idea um, as a sort of existential exercise, which is to say they have, they have transported, like you say, the kind of fight for the end of the world to not only another planet, but to a group of people forgotten about who will never see that planet again. You know, yeah. like it's, it's, it's completely like associative. I mean, yeah.
0: I mean, there's, well, there's that, uh, that conversation where Ripley's asking Dylan to kill her. Yeah. Where he's like, uh, he's like, you know, if they, he's, you know, all he wants is that thing gone. And yeah. uh, she's like, so fuck everybody else. And she's like, no, fuck them. You know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. You, so it's like, he really does only care about his little yeah,
1: his community,
0: little you know? And it's like a, I don't, for whatever reason like i i mean i i uh really tap into like sort of uh yeah his um his fiery like preaching style so i just assume he's a good guy but he's not a good dude oh, in no, that movie all bad people, yeah he's he's like he only acts selfishly like and he doesn't consider anybody else except like his little fiefdom that he gets to control and yeah like,
1: exactly and oh, and, man. and and honestly like as 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 is the way with these things and the way that movies have to behave, which is essentially that you can only really show care in genre films through a predetermined bummer outcome that, like, it's very rare, uh, you know, like I'm saying, it used to be, but now that we have all these, like, militarized, uh, you know, uh, action movies and stuff like that, it's less rare because obviously everybody has to come out of it okay in order to show the money of the fucking U.S. military. But, you know, so, like, 12 Strong and Renegades and all this stuff, it's just like, oh, look how great (laughs) we are. But uh, in, in, in the context of a genre film, it's it's the kind of thing where you show uh, how much people care about you know their their guys. But at the end of the movie, they're all fucking dead, and so yeah. that's an interesting tension between oh, I really really care about all these guys, but really what it was like you're saying is I was the person that they came to for all their yeah. troubles, um, and it's kind of yeah. interesting to see the Charles Dutton character in. Uh, in Alien 3, who really does only care about, you know, those guys. And, like, you can see, he's really bothered by the idea that they're being, you know, decimated by this thing, but he really hates losing. In the same way that, uh, what's his name, uh, Boyd Holbrook in The Predator yeah. has the same kind of relationship where it's like, it's the, all that matters is his son. Like, yeah. And in that perfect Shane Black way, he doesn't really have much of a relationship with his son. He just like, yeah, yeah. wants to keep him
0: safe. <laughs> right, it's the, yeah, I, I mean, I'm like... Yeah, as soon as the kid showed up, I'm like, ah yes, one of Shane Black's Moppets. Yeah. This is a yes. Shane Black movie. A, know, kid,
1: which, a kid a kid who's like, favorite color, we will never learn.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, I don't I mean it's like shit. Yeah, I don't some of his child characters, like the the daughter in the nice guys, I thought was a or I just the way kids were portrayed in the nice guys was yeah. very interesting. Uh, the Nice Guys <laughs> is
1: terrific. <laughs> it's so good.
0: Uh <laughs> Oh, but yeah, yeah. The pre- uh, man Boyd Holbrook. Um, want to see him lead more movies? He's good.
1: I like again. This is the problem: is that like I want a sequel to the Predator, but I want the same people in it. So like, yeah, I, you know, I want I want to see all those guys come back and do it again. Like, I, unfortunately, what I'm asking for is a Robert Rodriguez movie, which is a terrible idea. <laughs>
0: like, right. Uh, you know. Where, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, we get. get you know, it's like uh, you, you fast forward five years; they've like reverse engineered that Predator like fucking exosuit and then you just bring all the guys back oh we found all their dead bodies in uh the forest and we just made them robots or like they
1: all have brothers (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah they have identical twins. Because it's just <laughs> such a great cast. Like, Trevante uh, Rhodes, so charming. That moment where he fucking gives Boyd Holbrook the finger before throwing himself oh my the god, yes is, like, <laughs> the best Shane Black thing I've ever seen. And, like, such a perfect, like, that performance is great, but that moment is just, like, the fucking, like, the best thing in that movie. Yep. Where he's just like, uh, fuck you, this is yep. great. <laughs> oh my God! Like I took a screenshot of that. I've got that forever. Like it's just such and his smile on his face. Oh, oh. my God! Um, but yeah, no, it's funny that like it's in 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 the <laughs> in the pre- uh, Sorry, in the Alien Three tradition, it is a movie that like ends with a very hectic, clearly studio you know altered oh, yeah. action sequence that involves the decimation of the main cast as we understand it, leaving you with like a fairly random you know kind of uh, end game, but as with the ending of alien 3 it's one of those things that like i stopped to pick apart to make sure i understood exactly what was going on because i'm like fascinated by that alien 3 has like one of my favorite supporting casts of all time and so does the predator and i really really wanted to know what the fuck happened to all of them in that ending sequence in the tunnels in the lead foundry because as you're watching it you're just like wait a minute what the fuck is going on where are these people (laughs) in relationship to one another like it's just unending madness
0: Oh yeah, just a yeah a maze of yeah guys screaming running through yeah, corridors right. uh, bald, you know some bald of the most guys. Uh...
1: <laughs> bald guys yeah. in a tunnel bald white guys in a tunnel <laughs> it's the whole fucking end of that movie and yet I'm fucking transfixed I just right. I can't get enough of that yeah.
0: Yeah, an entire generation of the most celebrated character actors mm-hmm. killed by a cgi puppet yes
1: yeah, <laughs> in nondescript
0: like... industrial tunnels <laughs> yes! oh yes
1: <laughs> it's all guys who worked with like john borman and fucking mike lee and yeah. uh and and yeah absolutely some of the finest actors of all time reduced to screaming faces in a yeah. tunnel, but like in a beautiful way and again that's yes. you know um the 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 fincher thing that's my my friend david Cairns pointed this out this is where i like got this idea is is um Uh, Fincher shoots a lot of that movie, the religious stuff, and this is, again, the beautiful thing that we're talking about with subtext v. text, Mm -hmm. um, is he doesn't tell you it's a religious movie, you know, uh, 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 in anything other than, like, oh, these are nuts, right? So, like, you can can avoid the religious context if you want to because you can choose to see them as zealots. And zealots Mm. are a cinematic device. But what makes the film... More interesting in his conversation with religion is the way that David Fincher shoots those guys, and the way he shoots um, Sigourney Weaver is identical to the way that uh, Carl Dreyer shoots uh, Maria Falconetti in *The Trial of Joan of Arc*. Uh, Oh yeah, *The Passion of Joan of Arc*. Um, Which I think I mentioned in the essay because I was like so in love with that idea. Oh yeah, yeah. um, But that's and that's you know, it's what you do with you know the the thing that you've been handed. Fincher was given a you know a fucking screenplay that looked like scrapple, and yep. <laughs> you know like somebody else's sets, and made one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the Predator, the Predator, I will say, is is kind of the opposite because it's yeah. Shane Black trying to make trying to make you know like a pop movie basically, just trying to make an action movie, but yep. because he's so peculiar peculiar yeah why can't I say this peculiarly peculiarly uh talented yeah. kind of can't help but make the film interesting and memorably uh wonky and sarcastic and strange um and just very him it's very him through, and yeah. through. the fucking joke about the the haunted mansion when they go into the like the <laughs> the, the the underground bunker in the beginning and the one door guard who tells his same joke over Oh over. God, yeah. I was like, God really? God damn it! Every this time, is so good and so <laughs> him, you know? Like, ugh I love yeah, it. Yeah.
0: Um, I don't. Uh, I was yeah very surprised by um, Olivia Munn's treatment as a character in yes, that movie, like because. So uh, You know, that that whole, like, decontamination sequence. All right, all right, we're going to... And you see nothing like Jake... Oh, both Busey Busey. brothers are in there. Like, Jake Busey is more nude than Olivia Munn is is, uh, in the movie. awesome.
1: And so, and again, (laughs) it is weird tension between we're woke and we're not. Where, you know, the thing... It's very important to the, you know, to the script that it be understood that if you're not carrying a weapon and you look defenseless, this thing is not going to hurt you. And so it has to have the moment where she's you know, and it turns her into a bit of a sur- into a into a survivor, you know, like it turns yeah. her into this this person who has seen you know, shit. You yeah, know, she saw everybody get fucking murdered, and she was so oh clearly God. very close to it, and uh, and survived.
0: Oh, for sure. Uh, of course, I'm gonna you know derail you by saying I was so stoked when we actually saw a predator like bite a person's face. Yeah, out. right. Like that was fun. like we. We've got like you know thirty years of these movies, and you see those fucking mandibles, and it's like, wow! I just want to see that guy take a bite out of something, and we got it. It, finally it happened. Got it. Yeah, <laughs> it was.
1: Just, <laughs> and it's, and it's uh, like I, I. It's funny to like separate these things too, where there's the Shane Black Christmas movies and the Shane Black Halloween movies, and the Shane Black Halloween movies are always a little more fun and maybe a little more boyish, but they uh-huh. have an interesting relationship to the female characters, like. The thing that has probably aged the least well in the monster squad is the moment where they're trying to do a virgin reading a passage from this ancient book, which will vanquish the monster. And they realize that the one kid's sister isn't a virgin. Oh God. (laughs) 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 And I'm like, it's, it's, it's clever. It's clever subversion. And I get why they put it in there. But at the same time, it's just like, but they also don't like, they don't like really punish her for it. They just kind of make fun of her for a few seconds. Um, right but it, it also gets at the diet you know the sort of you know uh, uh, uh mother horror complex that so much of you know western motion pictures have which is that the only virgin in town is a six year old girl you know and that you're not going to find anyone on a film set town you know who is a virgin because of the way that these things have to be played up and so they're clearly aware of the stereotypes and all that stuff which is interesting um but you know that's the the the, the shade black halloween movies i think are are all about like boys going on adventures Uh, whereas the Christmas movies are about, you know, hardened killers learning lessons. (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Oh man, what... Yeah, was Iron Man 3 one of the Christmas movies? Iron Man is a Christmas
1: movie, um, Night Skies is a Christmas movie, Last Boy Scout's a Christmas movie, Long Kiss Goodnight, obviously a Christmas movie, um... And I think Lethal Weapon also a Christmas. Present. Yep, yep, Ooh. Lethal Weapon is. Yeah, yeah, because uh, that Gary Busey comes to the to the, the house to fucking fight right. Mel Gibson on the, lawn. <laughs> the, the fucking
0: fire sprinkler. Uh, oh, exactly, God. and like the cops oh.
1: the cops who show up. Uh, well, that's my uh, maybe my favorite thing about Lethal Weapon. Like a movie I really don't like is they, they <laughs> Gary Busey shows up to murder Danny Glover's entire family. And Mel Gibson, special forces guy, Mel Gibson decides that he's going to fight this man to the death with his bare hands, (laughs) and every cop present just lets him. They're just like, yeah, sure, clear some room. It's like a fucking playground (laughs) brawl. I'm like, are you kidding me with this? Like, I know that, like, everybody was on cocaine back then, but, like, this is the best you guys can do? Oh, my God.
0: Man, uh... That said, Lethal Weapon Two gets like weirdly woke, where uh, it does with all the South uh, Africa stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it was very
1: clear, I think, that moving into it, Danny Glover probably only said yes to it if he could make it about apartheid. Um, Yeah, because Danny Glover, I think, is uh, famously a a pretty dedicated activist and also a very, very interesting film producer. I mean, oh yeah, I mean,
0: he's have been uh, that, um, yeah, he's wanted to make a movie about the Haitian Civil War or whatever yeah. for, like, like a big-budget historical epic, and everybody's like, we don't... nobody's going to do that unless, like, you put a white guy in it. Exactly, it's, exactly. It, it's, I want to see that movie so bad, though. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
1: it's... he's... yeah, he, he's astonishing i think because he he left behind like a kind of a a, a a trail of shitty american movies to pay for really interesting independent and foreign stuff um, like obviously he's in uh, charles burnett's uh, to sleep with anger which is a fucking masterpiece and he is in and produced um Sissako's like third film uh, oh, i want to say it's called bamako um, and he's you know he's obviously worked with like elias Suleyman. he produces uh, a peachpit pong we're a movies like he's one of the great forces for good in film production and distribution um because he's known that he can take a role in fucking death at a funeral or saw and and that paycheck alone will buy a guy you know a a filmmaker from a smaller corner of the world you know an entire distribution budget
0: um you know, it's, oh man, I'm so glad um, his paycheck from uh, Operation Dumbo, Dumbo dropped, dropped, did something yeah. good.
1: <laughs> well that was the thing too, and you can tell that he's got a little bit of like even even the shitty movies I think he really yeah. does think well, about I mean,
0: yeah. how Yeah, to... Operation Dumbo Drop is like just a fascinating um right? like piece. Like it's like who is that movie for? Precisely. Like, it's, I it's, mean... Yeah,
1: it's a woke kid's adventure film about yep. the ivory
0: trade. <laughs> yeah. Vietnam War. I don't like a Disney movie set in Vietnam. Like that has like allusions to basically a My Lai massacre in the opening shot. Like
1: like that's I gotta do that for Danger Mouse one of these days like I love a uh, fucked up Disney movie like um you know it's just that.
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> I gotta do I gotta do Operation oh, Double Drop yeah, I saw uh, that in
1: theaters I oh, still shit, remember yeah. a lot about that yeah
0: movie. that was that was like a heavy rotation like VHS thing for oh, me word. and like yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean I can draw a straight line from like that movie to me watching Apocalypse Now in like Junior High word. and like that's like re- rewiring my brain right like <laughs> yeah dude yeah, <laughs> it's okay so i saw this like oh it's about elephants what's the vietnam war oh viet then you know history channel documentaries all that shit oh what's the best vietnam war movie i hear apocalypse now is good and yeah then, right you know convincing a friend's mom to like rent it on some friday night and then oh, being that's like, always the best dude when you you, when, you know like you're like at we're the friend's
1: like, house and you got the rented vhs tape and you have to like make sure that the mom is asleep <laughs> right. it like is
0: basement 14 years old just like hey let's watch this and then like just after it, turning to him it's like what did we just watch? Yep. What is that? Yep.
1: It's yeah. That's I. I. have told this story like a thousand times before. But I had in sixth grade, I had a teacher who was clearly shell shocked, um, like going through some serious PTSD stuff. Because one day in the computer lab, we like embarrassed him by being like super rowdy in front of the fucking computer lab teacher, uh-huh. and he brought us back to our classroom and was like livid. He was like, "Don't you." ever embarrassed me in front of... And, like, the rest of the year, he was, like, cold and distant and angry. This guy had been a bomb diffuser. Like, he had been, like, Hurt Locker oh, style in, oh the, my God. in the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, no, I'm saying that. I mean, it must have been just the, the mid-90s. It was all, like, post-Gulf War. Um, he right. signed up, like, right around that time because I was... This was, this was like, 1998, 1999. And, uh-huh. um... And... In the midst of all this, like, so he's, like, going through this stuff where he's, like, taking out, like, years of anger out on a sixth grade class. Um, right. And he figures out that I like movies. And he's like, have you seen Apocalypse Now? I said, like, no. And he's like, you gotta rent it. You gotta watch it. You gotta tell me what you think. And I, <laughs> I rented Apocalypse Now in the sixth grade. Oh, my God. Uh, and watched it. And I was like, what the shit is this movie about? Like, what the fuck is going on here? I didn't understand a minute of that film. And I came to class, and I was like, I watched the Apocalypse Now. He's like, what'd you think? I'm like, I, I don't know. It was good, I guess. And it was like, did you think that, like, Kurtz was justified? What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my oh. God. I was like... <laughs> like, legit moral quandaries with a fucking 10-year-old. I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. Um... I don't. I don't know about that one. He's just yeah. like. Do you think he was just fine to do what he did? I'm like, are you thinking of 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 committing
0: crimes, what? sir? Do you want to go to a compound in the forest? Exactly. And just keep I'm just ads? like.
1: Clearly, somebody has some regrets about their time overseas.
0: <laughs> oh, oh my, my that is, god! That is. God. Wow, yeah, it that was is That's hilarious. something.
1: But that was because I had such a fucking weird introduction to that movie. I became obsessed with it later. Like it was, it was. Um, they did the Redux shit in two thousand one. Right. And by yeah. the time, um, it made its way. Like obviously, every new movie goes through a syndication uh, period, right? Where you get the movie, goes to theaters, and then a year later, it's on the pay networks, right? It's on Showtime yeah. or HBO or Stars or Cinemax or any of that mm-hmm. stuff. Then it makes its way slowly down to the more adventurous um, uh, cable networks, your TNTs, your yep. USAs, and then when it's done with that, it then makes its way down to uh, channels that really only have movies for long programming blocks that they know that their, um, their casual viewers don't tune in for, so they just need mm-hmm. stuff that sort of kind of keeps up the mission of the network without anybody doing any work. Mm-hmm. And they pick these things up for little money um, after they've had their, their runs elsewhere, and um, and so, through that, Apocalypse Now Redux was bought by the Bravo Network in the year two thousand six. Oh my God! Um, and so, Bravo used to run Apocalypse Now Redux uh, like three times a night on weekends for about six months. Um,
0: oh my! I do remember like remember scrolling yeah. past that, like yeah, yeah on like direct TV back then. Yeah, in the dude. Day. Yeah. Yes,
1: yes, exactly. <laughs> So,
0: I mean, when, I think I already had the DVD by that point, but, like, right. yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that was, yeah, so that was my, how I kind of reconnected with Apocalypse Now, was because it was constantly on the Bravo Network. So every night in high school, I would stay up till, like, five in the fucking morning, because I never <laughs> slept when I was a teenager. Yeah. I'm still bad at it, like, I still can't go to sleep when I need to, but, um, and I would watch Apocalypse Now over and over and over again, and I really came to love the thing and, like, appreciate it and see, like, what a fucking visual marvel it was, and this, Torrio Storaro is just genius photography photography and coppola doing incredible things and like i i've come to just love the french stuff um
0: okay think... yeah that's that's interesting like i uh I, don't, I, I go back and forth like i think i, I saw the theatrical version first like mm-hmm. that first initial dvd release word yeah on a rental and then i'm like oh gotta check out the redux so that was the first copy i bought was uh, redux and then when the the two which weird fucking format where they had both versions yeah, yep. but it was the first half on one disk yep, and yep, like yep, yep, but it it had the most like comprehensive special features so it's like ah oh, fuck it this is great you know but it's like such a weird decision um to have that act break in the middle but i don't know yeah i've kind of flip-flopped on i i think i I, I'm in a period of, like, really preferring the, the 79 theatrical release to the Redux, but I do appreciate a lot of the, the stuff in Redux.
1: It's, I think Redux is, is, is um, it, it, to me, anyway, it's an essential component of, um, like, post-911 cinephilia because it, A, reckons with the canon, so to speak, um, makes people um, think about why they liked the original version if they don't like the new one. Um, and okay. also to think about what you know, if they liked the new one, what they liked about that so I think it's, 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 it's a conversation with the past and New Hollywood and the ending of New Hollywood um, and I think also was the start of the like, special feature heavy DVD edition, you know, like I've got the complete dossier version over there on my shelf right. Um, yep
0: yep that's the that's the one i got kicking around
1: and also with the added footage becomes a conversation about uh gender representation because it's got the Playboy on stuff right yep yep and uh colonialization in the form of the french plantation Mm -hmm. stuff but also criticism because the french uh dinner table scene is uh a very succinct and very hyperactive discussion about semiotics um in the same way that like, I mean, it's basically the movie Alphaville, Alphaville in, in like 10 minutes. Oh, wow! Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, because again, it's that same thing. It's the conversation about what the French, you know, uh, have to do with the sort of, uh, uh, like automatonization of the world and the way that uh-huh. they, you know, their colonial f- flexing caused ripples across, you know, the entire world. Um, and the way that America is sort of, you know, in, in, in the shadow, like literally in the case of Apocalypse Now, the sun is hitting Martin Sheen in the eye during dinner um, because the
0: blindingness
1: of European colonialist attitude has reflected onto the way that America conducts themselves as a superpower. Right, right. Um, it's, it's a fascinating scene. Like, I want to do a whole movie just about that dinner scene.
0: <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Shit, yeah. Oh, I got it. It's been a while since I've done the redo like, it's i, I, it's th- I need it. to watch it again like oh man
1: it's yeah, that's a film uh, that I, I think about like once a day like it's just yeah
0: like, oh it, dude it yeah me. i mean it is it's uh i mean yeah that movie is seared in my brain like i mean it's yeah probably if i have to pick a favorite that is my favorite movie of all time it's very <laughs> up there i this is here's like a sad here's a sad confession
1: when the 2012 um Sight and Sound poll came out. I said to myself, "I'm going to conduct myself in such a way that I will be asked to participate in the 2022." <laughs> <laughs> and I have. I've like gotten pretty close. I've been in Sight and Sound once or twice as a like oh, a nice. Um So like, I'm I'm getting there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, that's you know that's because I, I at the time when I thought this, I thought for sure Apocalypse Now would be on my list. And it's still very near the top. But like, it's yeah. it's such a hard thing. Like, and I. Because I want to do, um, I, like, right now my list is, 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 is sort of hovering at about 20. Like, I really, uh-huh. really want to uh, include a Sweet Movie, which um, uh, your oh, listeners yeah. of this podcast will, will hear from me first is going to be the next Unloved after I do The Predator. Um, okay, sick. Because uh. it took me a while to kind of, like, realize how I wanted to treat this film, and I do want to mm-hmm. do video essays about, like, all ten of my, like, you know, hypothetical sight and sound ballots, mm-hmm. and um, it's, that's definitely, like, right near the top, um, and I figured out that uh, it didn't make any money, um, which was, like, the one thing keeping me from from doing it, because I knew, all I knew about it for a long time was that it was a criterion thing, so I'm like, oh, it must right, be yeah. well-regarded, and then I looked into I, it, and I was like, Nope. <laughs>
0: No, yeah. Yeah, that's one of those like uh, I mean, when you realize like yeah, Criterion isn't even in the business of um, you know, preserving the best movies. Nope. It's like no. no, no. It's not at all. It's preserving important ones. And yes. so like I mean, yeah, it was like the early laserdisc ones. You can get like RoboCop and Armageddon. Mm-hmm. Um, which yeah, exactly. Arguably like I mean, yeah, those belong in there, man. Like Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, RoboCop is a straight up masterpiece, but uh <laughs> It's
1: no, I agree that it's it's about it's about Making sure that... Even if only for a minute, honestly. Like, I think that there is there is value in... Even even the films they don't, like, bring to Blu-ray. Um, just, like, having had them at one point, I think, is, is super important. Because it says, yep. we care about this. We cared enough about this to restore it and make it look really nice. Yep. Like, I think about a film like... Um, the Spanish movie The Executioner from uh, last year that they did that or maybe it was a year before it was like a 2016 2017 and that's like nobody's idea of a perfect movie but it's like super important that they did that because it has a lot to say about Spain and and, you know Europe and Francoism and all this stuff so like I, I, I agree that it's not about what's best and it's not and yeah. that was how i thought for a long time i was like oh it's oh the, yeah it's in the criterion collection it must be a fucking masterpiece and everybody right, agrees no. <laughs> um
0: and then i don't know yeah because i mean they put uh lena dunham's debut feature yeah, out. like right. that was the initial dvd release and it's like i think i'm kind of over being mad because she's like an important enough figure that it's like okay like that's part of the canon and we need to understand it but Word. like I don't know. Oh, man, I am embarrassed about my initial reaction to that movie. Because <laughs> like, I, th- I was just like, I was so, I, I mean, I'm just one of those people that was like, all right, this is the voice of my generation. And then, like, three years later, I'm like, oh, my God, we've made a mistake. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> we have fucked
0: up. Like, <laughs> oh, we blew it. Uh, no,
1: and that's, you know, uh, I... The, pr- the problem, I think, for me and, and Lena Dunham is that I haven't done nearly the work I need to to understand yeah. what her point of view is as an artist. Yeah. I think yeah, it's... it's uh, my reactions to her are my reactions to Lena Dunham Twitter person. Right, um, yeah. Which yeah. is not the same person as Lena Dunham artist. Yeah, um,
0: yeah. Uh, I mean, I will say, like, I, I think I've, I've watched, like, the first, like, two and a half seasons of Girls and Tiny Furniture, and it's like, there's a legitimate artistic point of view there. I think like the mistake was saying like she's the new voice of a generation like she it's, just got yeah, way too inflated that. way too young oh, and yeah. oh yeah it's but i don't, like you know tiny furniture is interesting enough um like alex karpovsky i think is a more interesting personality than she is but he <laughs> wouldn't be anywhere near where he is if he hadn't worked with her is he still is he
1: still like a, 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 i haven't kept up with him is he still working
0: I, th- I think so, because um, I know he's... He got, like, a couple films put out, like, while he was on Girls, and he shows up in some weird places. Now I have to
1: well, It's like, I remember Google him being, like, I, uh, I thought... Uh, <laughs> interestingly, I thought the Cohen brothers did a great job reckoning with, like, this generation when they made and Davis, because not only did they capture how miserable we all feel, but yeah. they got Adam Driver and Alex Tarkovsky and uh, Stark Sands and all the, like, young guys to kind of carry Mulligan. You know, they... they they kind oh, of yeah. got a great cross section of youngish performers um, to come show the different outlooks that young people have, and I'm saying young—I I basically mean right. over forty. Yeah.
0: <laughs> 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 oh yeah, for oh for sure, man. Oh, that's right. Stark Sands was in the uh, yeah. was in Lewin Davis, dude. That guy, fucking. Uh, you ever seen Generation Kill? The uh, I
1: have not seen Generation Kill. That's my um, that's my big David Simon blind spot
0: yeah uh it's i think it's his masterpiece it might be the best um piece of like war cinema war? that's ever been made um, really
1: just like war like
0: i don't up. know i i think so because it's or at least modern warfare war. like because it uh i don't know it's well, it's I assume not
1: it's bitterly anti-war like, oh
0: completely and it's it's very unsentimental about the troops themselves like it's great. it see that's also, it shows that's yeah great. it shows empathy but it has no compunction about showing these guys as like pretty uniformly assholes that have like a few of them have a glimmer of like uh an ethical streak here and there but they're like Word. yeah pre- like all uh all awful people like alexander skarsgard is like sort of the main guy uh uh the um the 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 Iggy, ziggy ziggy from wire season james, two is, james
1: ransome
0: yeah yeah he he's in there he's perfect in that and it's just like an entire generation of like uh yeah other great character actors uh that's awesome <laughs> are in that one and it's yeah like, i really uh, gotta catch up with that yeah because it's girl. like it's it's um yeah it's an anti-band of brothers where like i, I mean band of brothers is amazing it its has its right. merits for sure I mean, yeah that's, but it is like it, it buys is so, into the myth it's, that's the thing it's so like in retrospect like it's so treacly and sweet and i think at least more nuanced than saving private ryan which i think is straight up fascist propaganda oh, i point. completely
1: agree yeah 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 like, like, I, Saving private ryan is a hilarious um uh, like that's that's a film that like it's funny i i can't imagine being like jonathan rosenbaum when that movie came out when you're one of seven people who hates it and it, like, is, like, Christmas for right-wing America, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, I can't even fucking imagine how frustrating that must have been. Uh, God, yeah. Because I that's mean, a film that starts out terrific and really does show you how completely horrifying fucking warfare is and then turns into a new Hollywood western. Like, it turns yeah. into like the fucking Culpeper Cow company, but in the context of World War II. Like, right, yeah. oh boy. I
0: don't like, know. It's like, I, I, yeah, and then, uh, so, yeah saying like generation kills a pretty good antidote but like in the world war ii sense i liked fury a lot because i think it just it really embraces the like nihilistic violence of it all like, Fury,
1: fury uh, is pretty fascinating i don't i don't yeah. i don't unreservedly love fury but i do right, enjoy yeah. it quite a bit because i think that there is something to first of all the um the way that they, they first like, everybody in that movie has the same haircut which is so yeah, funny yeah. <laughs> It's so fucking funny to me um and uh <laughs> and second of all um the 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 um and i think that this is an accident uh, by the way i think david ayer didn't realize what he was doing because he's a fucking lunatic um, oh yeah he's yeah no <laughs> like, he's uh, he's crazy but i think that it took someone crazy to make a movie yeah. that accidentally outs warfare as the providen- uh, providence of the insane um, yeah. The Province of the Insane, rather, where Shia LaBeouf doing career best work as far oh as I go. Yeah, yeah. He is... Just yeah. weeping constantly like he's fucking Alex Jones or fucking yep. Glenn <laughs> Beck or something. Like, he... <laughs> he it, that alone, I think, was such a perfect uh, uh, window into mm. the way that, like, you know, pro-war folks... Live. This is a mm-hmm. conversation I used to have with uh, a good friend of mine a long time ago, where what he couldn't wrap his mind around was that in the 40s, and there's even a conversation about this in Saving Private Ryan where they're they're trying to guess what tom hanks was uh before the war which is first of all very funny to me that they paint him as like this stoic fucking mystery like it's tom hanks he's fucking forrest gump
0: there's no mystery No, yeah i mean it's like no i mean even though he doesn't really talk about it's like well well yeah he does talk about it but even going it's like oh he's probably like a nice family man exactly He's, you know, you could, you like, what he finally reveals is like, that's what we thought the whole time, time. you asshole. This is like, a fucking
1: mystery. A... Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> hilarious, first of all. But also, like, the idea that, like, and this was, um, this is why I think it's, like, the the line between, uh, uh, the, you know, sort of the, the military and, and filmmaking was sort of direct for a long time because you had guys like Will Wellman and, uh, Bill Wellman and, uh, uh, fucking, uh, uh Capra and John Huston and whoever, oh, you know, whatever yeah, the, yeah. you know, all those guys, it made sense that they would all go and fight the war and come back because filmmakers for a very long time, like barring a couple of odd personalities, were just craftsmen like anybody else. Mm-hmm. I think Raul oh, Walsh yeah, yeah. was like a mechanic or something like that. Um, you know, all these guys were just folks and they came to do, you know, they came to make movies because making movies is just a job like anything else. The auteur stuff doesn't start until way later. These guys didn't think they were oh, making yeah. art. In a lot of the cases they just thought they were doing the best job that they could.
0: Um Right, yeah.
1: You know, and that's I love the idea of these guys, just these one eyed, crotchety craftsmen, you know, who could have been making fucking horseshoes, but instead were making movies. And that's part of why all the like the first hundred years of filmmaking is like so stacked with masterpieces because these guys weren't thinking about how do I make a fucking masterpiece? They were thinking how do I make the best product I can. And right, yeah that's the awesome thing about what we have completely lost i mean post reagan reagan's you know army you know all the grenada stuff all of the fucking you know unseating democratically elected leaders and all that it took out the this is a job mentality from the military his version of oh, that because yeah. he was a fucking actor and what he needed people to believe was that everybody doing a job was the job and so now yep. you don't get people who were just school teachers or who are just fucking mechanics who picked up a gun because the country asked them to and because it was the quote-unquote right thing to do now they all think that they're soldiers professionally and then they oh come yeah home. no they're like
0: straight up crusaders man it's yes, like troop exactly. culture is so fucked up these it days uh
1: nuts i remember uh, like
0: um a... have you oh my god i just uh have you heard of a movie called range 15
1: no what is that
0: oh so it was it was like indiegogo funded but it's by it was made by a bunch of guys that basically run like right-wing dipshit t-shirt companies (laughs) um but like a bunch of them are like uh like ex operators or whatever and so then they i i I don't know there's one guy who stars in it who owns a t-shirt company another guy co-financed it who owns a t-shirt company and it's a
1: lot of that like uh, hillary clinton stuff yeah
0: um but they got they raised enough uh right like the you know uh locker up locker like up yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah like and even just worse Short but like bitch. uh uh what was i think like uh chapo trap house did an episode where they tried to review it and it's like i tried i got like i tried watching it's on amazon prime and i got like admitted into it and it is the most like just vicious and hateful thing I've ever seen. Like, wow. it just, it starts out, are like... Are these
1: guys actual vets like, who made this, or are they just, oh,
0: like, fans? Like, actual vets, like... Okay. Guys who, like, spun, like, being a Navy SEAL into, like, a post-military yeah. career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and they're just, like... Uh, like you know, uh, and the Chapa guys are like, yeah, this is what would happen if you let a serial killer make a movie, because like uh, those guys essentially are, you know, and like because uh, it's all about it's all about like it's like a zombie apocalypse comedy, and so they just use that as a pretext to just like murder people they hate or groups they oh, hate. Dude. So like the opening is like they get. Tr- uh, like i think the opening is like a guy gets like super drunk and finds out he had slept with a trans woman and then like part of it is like just killing the trans woman oh and God. it just it, it i yeah i couldn't make it that far in and i'm like okay i guess i'm glad somebody else watched it but it's like shit like
1: i don't think I'm gonna this do
0: exists that and yeah. it, i mean part of it reminded me of like i mean i come from a you know small town in minnesota and it's like that kind of humor like permeated like my high school experience oh, sure and dude yeah and it's like just getting shoved back into your own shit again and oh, i just man. i could not handle it for like
1: that's yeah that, that that's i mean oh, right yeah that is such a pervasive thing in small town and yeah, here's a funny thing too basically all of america is small town america like i Yeah, you yeah. know like that's first of all that like we need to like stop treating that like it's a separate entity it's it's everywhere it's everyone i mean right. unless it's, unless uh, unless yeah. basically california California is the only state I think you can be raised in that you could credibly avoid small-town America. Um, Maybe Hawaii. I
0: mean, yeah, even then it would have to be like Southern California because once you get closer to oregon like right there'd be nazis there right hello nazis <laughs> Hella Nazi.
1: well that's the thing i think is it, yeah it, it's all you know like i think I, I california is such a bubble in so many ways that that's sort of my my you know like wine country and everything i don't imagine yeah, being yeah. raised in fucking napa or whatever like you would you would you would have the same experience that if you were raised in my hometown which had pretensions towards class and you know fucking you know Eloquence and all this, but it's nonsense. It's as racist and backwards as anywhere else in the world. Um, But you know that's the thing. So uh, it's so rare that anybody actually, first of all, humanizes uh, small town America, quote unquote, and also doesn't make it in such a way that you can't, that you aren't just immediately like brought back to high school trauma. Like that is just tough. That's why yeah. I, I loved 1517 to Paris so much because it starts oh. out looking like a cartoon where you're just like, oh, this is just like some fucking, you know, crazy right wing soldier guys, and they're right. like, oh no, these are just these are just folks,
0: just just dudes. Um, yeah,
1: they're just like guys. That's who a to do oh, nice I things. gotta
0: that because that sounds like a very interesting follow up to American Sniper, which I totally. And, and I think uh, almost
1: accidental, to be perfectly honest with you. Yep. I don't know how much of that movie coming out. As, not, as, as well as I found it has anything to do with Clint's intention because I don't know I, it, it's very tough to sort out the tangle of his intentions and his politics versus the underlying humanity of that movie because I think the right. thing that really took me by surprise at the end of the 1570 to Paris, spoiler alert, they don't kill the guy, they just subdue right. him I right. thought for sure. And I, because I didn't look into the case. I knew that I knew about the terrorist attacks as a, as uh-huh. a thing, but I didn't know any of the uh, actual incident. And they don't kill that guy. And they don't shoot anybody. And they don't like wave their guns around like they're fucking, you know, here. They're just dudes who did the right thing at the right time because they were equipped to do the right thing at the right mm-hmm. time, which is, you know. This sort of, that's like the middle American version of white privilege. <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> They've been trained by the military to stop a terrorist attack. <laughs>
0: yeah, because <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like the mirror image, because like, uh, like American Sniper, like, uh, it's a, a good film. enough, or what? I
1: said a terrifying film.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, um, like, yeah, it is, uh, but like, Clint Eastwood's like a good enough filmmaker that there's enough, like, weird little counter narratives that sort of spin out underneath the surface, so like, uh, the thing I latched onto, and there was like, um, I don't know, like a theology writer guy that did a really interesting review. Like, uh, he traced this thing where like, uh, it opens up with Chris Kyle, like having a Bible around. And then there's yes. like a scene like midway, uh, like sort of a quarter of the way through where he makes fun of another soldier for reading a Punisher comic book. And then by the end of the movie, he's abandoned his Bible and all of his gear is stenciled with the fucking Punisher skull. Yeah. Yep, yep. And I mean, yep. and I think that might be more like set design, but it's like a really interesting like counter flow. Like there's no real like there, there, like Chris Kyle really is just a, but then it ends with like the actual footage from the funeral scene and it really becomes like a, a fascist circle jerk. But I am endlessly fascinated by that movie too. in it's badness mm-hmm.
1: uh, <laughs> yeah well that was i remember like nick pinkerton who never echoes any sentiment i've ever had like him talking about the sort of like interesting undercurrents of american sniper and like you know that it's about america's fascination with violence i'm like no it's not it's just no. it just is america's fascination with yep. violence like <laughs> it just it's not they don't fucking critique this dude they show oh, not at all um, you know exactly his worldview and they were like I remember he and Miriam Bale talking about the scene where he, like, comes into his into his house with, the, like, the six-gun, the cowboy six-gun to, like, romance his wife. And they were like, oh, there's a lot to unpack there. I'm like, fucking is there? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> 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 He's a maniac! He's a fucking crazy person I, like, who I, lied about killing people on the fucking Howard Stern show.
0: I know, yeah. Uh, like, and there's a... Like, there is a good Chris Kyle movie that can be made, but it would be, like, this
1: Well, it's horrifying... Taxi Driver. <laughs>
0: taxi it is Taxi Driver
1: is the good
0: Chris <laughs> Kyle movie.
1: This shit completely takes this lying fucking fascist at his word, which is yep. the most zany shit I've ever heard. And that's, like, I think ultimately why 1570 to Paris is such a happy accident, because I am 100% sure that Clint didn't ask for a fucking rewrite he didn't ask for a script supervisor he didn't ask for shit he filmed what they gave him and it just happens that those guys were not complete fucking maniacs you know right like, it just it, it is complete happenstance that those dudes were not chris kyle because if they were he'd have filmed that <laughs>
0: Right, yeah. It, <laughs> I don't know, yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh my god, the, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: American Sniper, to me, was... It was so funny, like... It, it, so he, he dedicates uh, Unforgiven to Sergio Leone and Don Siegel. I think he would have been, like... If he had dedicated American Sniper to Franco Prosperi and Gualtieri Giacopetti, or like Rodrigo... Or no, uh, or Ruggiero Deodato. Oh my like, god, more, yeah. That's exactly... <laughs> Accurate for that mm. film and its weird fucking uh, ideology and aesthetic interest, and the fucking kid getting like power drilled to death. Oh, I'm just like, yeah. you couldn't, eat. like, I don't know how anybody saw that scene and was like, yeah, a lot to unpack here. Pretty ideologically dense. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> he makes terror. Like, are, oh, God. And there's yeah. just like, ugh, it's a complete and like, I love Clint, but I really do. Like The Mule, one of my favorite films of the year, fifteen oh, seventeen, interesting. fucking fascinating. Like I I, I I I never gave up on Clint even during 2014 when he made Jersey Boys, which is just <laughs> terrible. And right. American Sniper, which is a nightmare. And I was still like, uh, all right, well, maybe next time, you know? And he yep, did. Uh, he like redeemed himself because Sally is good, you
0: know? Okay. Well, yeah. it's it's really just hard to go wrong with America's favorite boy, Tom Hanks.
1: Tom Hanks, well, doing uh, what we all assumed he was. I'm sure that if in Saving Private Ryan he'd said, "Oh, I'm a commercial uh, airline pilot," it would have had the same impact right. as, "Oh, I'm an pilot. Yep. <laughs>
0: oh god! Yeah. I
1: love that that Onion article. It's like Tom Hanks vows to play every American. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god anyway well this was this a bit of like a two-hour talk
0: <laughs> oh man yeah I mean I guess we can uh yeah kind of kind of bring it bring it home that kind of I don't know. It was all good. Uh I'm, I'm glad. gonna force hope, people yeah. to listen to this because I enjoyed it very much. <laughs> I'm so uh, glad Thanks for having me. This was a blast. I don't know. Man, hey, you're welcome back anytime. Like hey, uh yeah, for sure. Shit, yeah. Um I'll maybe like back. next time like there is sort of like a weird game show conceit that takes a little more prep to do, but I think First. is kind of fun and I'm still working the kinks out with my uh my normal well quote-unquote normal co-host because this is canonically episode two of this new thing (laughs) yeah well i'm happy to
1: be here on the ground floor yeah next time when you've got the when you've got the you know the the format like kind of you know set in stone here i'd love to play by the rules obviously i I can i can just talk for hours on end like an asshole but i you know it's always fun to do the right thing too
0: oh yeah absolutely but this is yeah this is just some good like uh, some good you know quote unquote bonus content that good. I will inevitably throw behind a paywall when good yeah, gain, you know <laughs> if you along. don't gain enough uh, <laughs> um, followers yes. um, so yeah uh, man scout this is great uh, so where can people find you okay, uh, find yeah. your work
1: um, okay so uh, most importantly you can find me at patreon.com slash honors zombie that's where all of my video essay and uh, video material goes You get exclusive access to my features um, and my interviews and all my writing and everything like that. Um, You can find me on Twitter at honors underscore zombie. I'm on Facebook at Scout DeFoya. I'm on Instagram, I think, as just honorszombie. zombie. Um, I'm pretty easy to find. You can always track me down. Um, I got a couple of movies on Amazon Prime. You can watch um, Diana and Enjoy Your Trip to Hell, House of Little Deaths and your silent face right now on amazon prime for free um very proud of those films you can find the rest of my fiction and nonfiction feature work on vimeo if you find my vimeo page it is all there um some of it's on vimeo on demand um which you can get around if you join the patreon for one dollar a month hours of exclusive content
0: oh hell yeah (laughs) hell yeah dog um yeah that about does it uh not really a huge social media presence for this thing yet, but you can follow me at Noam Chamsky, the wine papa, right that's now. That's always
1: been one of my favorite Twitter handles, by the way. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thanks, man. Really. Oh, God. Um, yeah, so that's that's it for, for Odd Splice this time. Um, we'll be coming back at you soon. Bye, folks.